Lukutei Sichais, Chelek Tesvav, Parshas Vayigash, Sicha Dalad. The final verse in this week's Torah portion reads, Vayeshev Yisrael, Be'eretz Mitzrayim, Be'eretz Goishen, Vayeyochazu Ba, Vayifru Vayirbu Ma'id. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goishen, and they acquired property in it, and they were prolific and multiplied greatly. The words ve'echazuba are interpreted in two ways. One is that the word ve'echazu means quite literally, as Rashi explains, they became landowners or estate holders in Egypt. They took possession of it. The second explanation is a midrashic explanation that tells us that the land had a hold on them, like one who becomes forcibly seized and held, they were forcibly living in the land of Goshen. The Torah's description of Israel's great proliferation in Egypt seems to negate the explanation of the words of the verse, Ve'echazubah, as that of the Midrash. This description tells us that settling in Goshen wasn't forced upon them, as a forced situation, living in a state of duress, would certainly not see a vast proliferation of a people or their successful settling of a land. We also can suggest that the words ve'echazubah mean that Israel settled the land of Egypt and thus seized it or had a hold on it because it doesn't work grammatically. The placement of the vowels indicate that the word ve'echazu, as Rashi explains it, it is not ve'echazu, which would mean that they had seized, that, that, which could mean that they held or seized the land. We frequently discuss that if there are numerous explanations that our sages offer for the same word or for the same idea, it doesn't indicate the explanations are different to one another. Rather, because they all explain one and the same word in Torah, there's a connection between them. But these two explanations or definitions are seemingly not only different but contradictory to one another in context. According to the literal intention of the verse, the words ve'echazubah, emphasized that the settlement of the nation of Israel in the land of Goshen was such that they made it theirs, their property. According to the Midrashic explanation, it would seem that the emphasis is the complete opposite, that the nation was seized and held by force by the land of Egypt. This will become clear after we explain the previous Rashi, which explains the words that precede the words, Ve'echazubah. The verse begins with the words, And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. Rashi quotes the words, And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, and teaches, Where did they settle? In the land of Goshen, which is part of the land of Egypt. Commentary suggests that Rashi's seemingly wordy explanation clears up any possible confusion the verse might create. The verse is written in such a way that one might think that the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen are two separate places. To inform us that they're one and the same, Rashi says it's as though the verse tells us they lived in Egypt. We're in Egypt, in Goshen. What's unclear, though, is that first of all, why must Rashi add the words, which is part of Egypt? We get that already because the verse told us they settled in Egypt. And this is what Rashi quotes from the verse before explaining where in the land of Goshen. Secondly, why does the verse have to tell us they settled in Egypt and then explain with the words in the land of Goshen to us? Why not tell us that we settled in the land of Goshen 
as we already know from earlier verses, that Goshen is in Egypt. Thirdly, if Rashi wants only to explain the seemingly unnecessarily long description of the land of Egypt in Goshen, why does he include the words, and they dwelt, and Rashi quotes, and they dwelt in the land of Egypt, when he quotes from the verse to begin his explanation? Is Rashi's not explaining those words, and they dwelt at all? The explanation is that Rashi is intended on forewarning a seeming discrepancy between our Pasuk and a verse in an earlier Torah portion. When God made a covenant with Avram in the covenant of the parts, as we learn in the portion of Lech Lecha, God promised Abraham, You shall surely know that your children will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will enslave them and oppress them for 400 years, and afterwards they will go out with great wealth. In other words, before we enter the land of Israel, we will have to endure exile as strangers in a foreign land. So the question becomes, how does this verse align with our verse? How can we say that this fulfills God's words, that they will be strangers in a foreign land that is not theirs, when our verse is telling us that they became Toshmim, that they settled in the land? And in fact, they settled in Goshen, which was the best part of Egypt. And to the extent that the Torah uses the words, they acquired it, they made it theirs. This is exactly why Rashi also quotes the words, and they dwelt. Because the challenge we have in this verse is, in how did they dwell in this land of Goshen? By stating or adding the words in the land of Egypt, Rashi settles the question. Ultimately, Goshen is still Egypt, and not the land of Canaan, not Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, settling in the land of Goshen is still considered settling in a foreign land, and the nation of Israel are still strangers in a foreign land and are not in their land. What remains unclear, however, at least looking at the deeper intention and meaning of this, is that it's known that the purpose of the Egyptian exile was that the people of Israel become more refined and thus worthy of receiving the Torah and entering the land of Israel. How did this manifest through living comfortably in and settling the land of Goshen? In fact, this question is even more significant when you consider how the concept of an achuza, of a yachazuba, is explained in the Midrashic part of Torah. Let's examine this. When it says in the Torah that ve'yachazuba means they became landowners in Egypt, that must mean that the land of Goshen became and remained a possession of and an inheritance of the Jews, which is really difficult to understand. How is it possible to say that a portion of the land of Egypt is a possession and an inheritance of the children of Israel. The land of Canaan, Eretz Yisrael, is a Jew's inheritance, as it says in the Torah portion of Lech Lecha, I am the Lord who brought you out of Orkazdim to give you this land to you to inherit, certainly not the land of Egypt. Now, if you look at this from the perspective of the literal words of the verse, there really is no question, because their time in Goshen spanned all the years of the Egyptian exile, they were there, as God said to Avram, they would be, but for 210 years. It would make sense to say that the land became their territory, their achuza. But according to the Midrashic interpretation, which highlights the inner intention of the verse, it doesn't make sense to say this. It's not their land. Eretz Canaan is their land. The Radak, or David Kimchi, comments in the spirit of Drash, the homiletics of Torah, regarding the statement in the book of Yehoshua, 
that Yeshua conquered the entire land of Goshen. It's indeed a reference to Goshen in the land of Egypt, and Goshen became subsumed within the cities of Israel in the portion of Judah. This might help to facilitate an understanding of calling the land of Goshen an Achuzah, Ve'achazubah, as the land of Goshen, eventually in the time of Joshua became a part of the land of Israel and thus an inheritance. This explanation of the Radak presents, however, a real difficulty because our verse in Torah is talking about when we are in Egypt, in which case how could one refer to Goshen as an Achuza, a territory that belongs to us based upon an incident which would take place hundreds of years later, upon the fact that hundreds of years later, the portion of Goshen would be conquered by Yeshua and incorporated into the cities of Israel. So how do we understand Goshen as an Achuza? The Medrash Pirkei Rabbi Lezer and other Midrashic sources teach that Parai gave Sarah, the city of Goshen, as an Achuza. It was for this reason that we settled there, because it belonged to Sarah, our mother. So Goshen is in fact a Yerusha, an inheritance from our mother Sarah. But that answer would then reinforce our question. How did the exile of Egypt, which was meant to refine us, achieve that if we were not strangers in a foreign country, if we were living on land that belonged to us, that had been given to our matriarch Sarah? The way we can understand this is via the Alter Rebbe's explanation in Torah Ur, in the Torah portion of Shmais, where the Alter Rebbe teaches that the difficult labor in Egypt with mortar and with bricks exists and can be explained on a spiritual plane. In one's laboring in Torah study, as it's taught in the Zayar, the Avedah Kasha, the difficult labor, hints to the difficult questions that we ask when we study. The Chomer, the mortar, hints to the expression Kal V'chaymer, one of the 13 rules of logical exegesis used in Torah study that tells us to bring proofs to support a law. And the bricks, the Levenim, hint to the Livun Halacha, the extraction of the law from within this process. When a Jew labors and is deeply involved in his study of Torah, he achieves what was to be achieved through the difficult labor of the Egyptian exile, and there's no need for him then to go through the process physically. As the Mishnah teaches in the third chapter of Ethics, one who takes upon himself the yoke of Torah, the hard work of Torah, as we just described, is freed from the burden of earning a living and from the burden of governance. Similarly, we can explain our situation. Living in Goshen, the children of Israel achieved what needed to be achieved via the exile and the servitude of Egypt with their exertion in Torah and in the, in the yeshiva that Yaakov and his sons established there. This is alluded to when we look deeply into Rashi's teaching on this verse. Rashi explains as they possess the land. The Egyptian exile in its earliest iteration, when the Jews were settling in, wasn't a time of slave labor. In fact, it was then that the goodness of Goshen that the Torah describes was experienced by the children of Israel, and they felt at home. Everyone recognized that the Jews were in their own land, living according to their lifestyle as they desired. The labor was about the study of Torah only. A further explanation is needed, though, because ultimately the Jewish nation had inherited the land from Sarah, so we still have the question how this could be considered an exile in a foreign land, a land that's not ours. The answer, of course, is that though this land of Goshen did indeed belong to them as an inheritance from Sarah, it did not attain the level of holiness that the land of Israel has, 
the land where God's eyes rest from the beginning to the end of each year, which is our land. That's where the idea of an exile in a country that is not ours plays out. Even in the earliest part of our sojourn in Egypt, we were embittered and sad not to be in the land where God's eyes rest from the beginning of each year to the end of each year. And that awareness meant that we were in a land that wasn't ours. It wasn't for us. Goshen did not have the holiness or the significance that is appropriate for a Jew. This awareness caused a pain that covered and replaced the exile that our nation was meant to experience. And even though the beginning of the time in Goshen, when the Golis in Egypt started, they possessed this land, this situation was a decline in their spirituality in comparison to their previous level before they descended to Egypt and were still in the land of Canaan. This decline then led to further decline and the need for the actual exile that would refine them in Egypt. In other words, when this initial good period of time ended, when Yosef and all his brothers passed, and slowly the effort in Torah and the yeshiva of Yaakov and his sons began to slide, and they began to forget the pain of being in a land that wasn't theirs, where they weren't meant to be, then the Egyptian exile actually began with all the bitterness of exile, as though they had just descended into the exile of Egypt. And this is what Rashi teaches. They dwelled in Goshen, and Goshen was still Egypt. In the beginning, the Egyptian exile in Goshen was in a really good place, but there needed to be the consciousness that this was still Egypt, and the fact that we needed to be in Goshen was already a level of descent. And when we didn't use the goodness of Goshen properly, when we didn't exert ourselves in terror study, when we enjoyed the good physical aspects of Goshen and rejected the spirituality, Goshen itself, where we lived for all our lives in Egypt, became a place of true exile. The explanation that we mentioned earlier about Goshen being a place where we settled and prospered and inherited connects to the deeper intention of the Egyptian exile. Though the verse doesn't specifically tell us that we inherited this land, and it's a Midrashic teaching from where we learned that this land was gifted to Sarah, Rashi does allude to this in referring to the land as an achuza, as a piece of land that belonged to us. A deeper perspective tells us that the reason that we were in Egypt was to redeem and to take with us the sparks of holiness held captive in Egypt, which is what our sages teach us we did upon leaving Egypt. We left Egypt emptied of these sparks, like a granary that has been emptied of wheat and a deep reservoir emptied of fish. Rashi alludes to just this with the words, they settled the land, like taking hold of it. The purpose of living in Egypt and thus of the exile in Egypt was for us to inherit the lights of Tehu scattered in Egypt. The previous Reb explains this idea saying that the way inheritance is handled among the nations is, as the verse teaches, when there is no son, the inheritance passes to a brother. As Yaakov is Esav's brother, we, as Yaakov's children, inherit the sparks of Tayu, sparks which are in the domain of Esav but have not been elevated by him and are left for us to elevate via inheritance. According to everything we discussed, we can understand the connection between Rashi's explanation of the words Ve'echazuba and that of the Midrash. According to the simple and literal interpretation, Ve'echazuba signifies ownership of this place. They made it theirs. As at this time, in the actual timeline of events and the literal understanding of the Pesukim, the slavery of Egypt had not yet begun. In fact, the land of Goshen was theirs, as we discussed. 
But according to the Midrash, which explains the idea in greater depth, the Achazu means the land had a hold on them. They were there against their will. Because in its deeper understanding, living in Goshen was a descent. In fact, it made the real exile and enslavement possible because this descent to Goshen was not where they really wanted to be. And so they were indeed somewhere against their will. And as we can see this explanation in Rashi, when we look deeply into Rashi's teaching in using the word Ahuza, we see that Rashi is telling us that the land has a hold on them as well because they, being there, had a purpose, which was to inherit the good in the sparks of Tayu that fell in the shattering of the sparks into Egypt, after which they would leave Egypt with great wealth.